It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. City of Chronicles is a Media Chronicles production. Hello and welcome to the City of Chronicles podcast. It's me, Nikki Bandini, struggling to see through my fringe at the moment because I've not been cutting it and I am struggling to see, but always aware of the wonderful presence of Mina Rizuki with me here for this week's uh, podcast. Mina, I don't even know where to start uh, this week talking about like frivolous stuff like I like to the beginning of the podcast feels a bit strange because there's a lot going on in the world. Can I just say something, hun? You're in a cardigan. Aren't you boiling? It's like sunny outside and it's spring and I'm in, you know, like... No. Where do you live up there in London? Is it suddenly tropical up there? I do. I don't know what it is, but I feel like it's really hot and it's really not. Yeah, it's like 11 degrees. But it's like beach weather for London at this point. Yeah. But I, I, you, when you do TV or when you do like any form of broadcasting, do you just start sweating frivolously like nonstop? But I don't know how you keep it all together and you're still like wearing your cardigan, and, you know? To be fair, it is actually quite warm in here, but that's because I have left the heating on, which I didn't actually mean to do. I shouldn't leave on this long in the day because it's so expensive. So expensive. I didn't have it on literally all day yesterday. I haven't switched the heating on since December. My sweat's enough. <laughs> You're like an internal radiator though. Like you are literally just made out of like heat somehow. Uh, there's your insight into Mina. Mina is, it, this is not new to me. Mina will like say she's hot and you'll be like, Mina, it's, it's like two degrees and she'll be like, yeah. She's got, she's got a different um, gauge to the yes, rest of us. Absolutely. I keep the whole house warm. But I'll tell you where it is heating up, Mina. At the top of the Serie A table. Hey, you see what I did? <laughs> <laughs> um, we had, actually, I mean, to be honest, that's probably the wrong way of putting it because we had two, um, another week where both Milan clubs managed not to win. And I uh, was beginning to think, are we ever going to have anyone at the top of the league win uh, again? But then on Sunday night, the big game, I think, for this week, or the, the standout game, Lazio against Napoli. Uh, you've obviously got Lazio chasing the Champions League spot. 
managed by Maritia Sari, the former Napoli manager who set uh, the all-time uh, points record for Napoli when he was there in 2018 up against Napoli, who last week had a chance to try and go top because Milan Cosworth drew and they couldn't do it. They drew with uh, Cagliari on Monday. They got another chance to do it when both Milan Cups drew again. And they go ahead through Lorenzo Insigne. Then in the 88th minute, they concede and you think it's happening again. It's going to happen again that everyone draws <laughs> and nobody wins. But uh, instead what happens is um, after we and others question whether this team had the metal to come through in moments like this, they do come through in a, in a big moment. Fabian Ruiz with a wonderful, I mean, every goal in this game was wonderful, but a wonderful goal to win the game. Mina, before kickoff, Luciano Spalletti said that his team was at a crossroads. He said that we're, we can either go down the path where um, everyone forgets about us, or we can go down the path where we stay in the heads of our fans forever. Our Napoli finally heading off down the path towards a team that we remember forever. You know what's really interesting is that there's never, you make judgments about a side, but it's never more fun to watch than when they go against the green and do something that surprises you. Football is at its best when it's the most unpredictable thing. And for me, when I saw that start and the fact that Lazio had like a chance to go to, you know, two, three nil up in 10 minutes, I thought, oh God, I mean, Spalletti said this, you know, you're right, the crossroads. And it was all Lazio in the beginning. And weirdly enough, I actually thought it was going to be the other way around. I thought Napoli was going to start off really well. Lazio were going to get back in the game. And I didn't know how this was going to end because in my head, Lazio was so bad after playing midweek. I saw Napoli completely fall, you know, obviously against Barcelona and, and exposed a lot of their defensive weaknesses. So I didn't know. But there's another part of me that also thinks when Maurizio Sarri seems to play his old club, he always, you know, throws it away, basically. So, but Lazio was stunning, stunning to begin with. They were perfectly vertical, but also played Sarri's football. They they rotated the ball so heavily. They created so many good chances. The candy was just sensational to watch. There's a part of me that just thought that they took too many touches sometimes, you know, um, and they and they wasted several opportunities to really take that first half and show the impact that they made on the game. Napoli took a full, like, what, 20 minutes to get themselves adjusted into the game to find their feet and, and really show you the rhythm of their play and the fluidity and all of it. And yet I didn't, I didn't understand how Lazio could not have scored. And it started to give me... I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a little bit worried about the lack of finishing in Serie A because we've seen Inter not being able to score their goals. We've seen a lot of teams create so many opportunities like Roma and obviously Lazio in the first half and none of them finishing it off. So I'm thinking, what, what's going on here? Why, why is nobody scoring goals anymore? You know, but Napoli, Napoli in the second half, Insigne throughout the match. I mean, you know what I feel about Insigne. And the man was so heavily, heavily booed after, after Barcelona. And rightfully so, because a lot of the time you want your leader to stand up and say, listen, I'm going to win this. I'm going to do this. Or I'm going to take charge of the situation, at least even from a mental point of view. But in this match, he was absolutely spectacular. Just always found himself space. If anything, I didn't feel like the team did enough to really put him in the situations that he needed to be. I thought a lot of the time his communication with Mario Rui wasn't working. I thought a lot of the time he found himself all alone in space and no one was picking him out. It was really driving me crazy. 
and Lazio had that perfect ability to counterattack and, and hold possession. They were beautiful. But the second half, Spalletti changed everything, you know, really made it difficult for Lazio to go on the counterattack, blocked all their paths, were much better in their pressing game and an ability to play out the ball from the back, which they suffered with at Barcelona and suffered with in the first half, corrected all the mistakes they made. And we see the difference. We saw character. And I think they have to be applauded for showing their mettle and credit where credit's due. Finally, you live up to a little bit of the potential we all know that Napoli has. I mean, this was, I, this was my obviously most entertaining game I thought yeah. the weekend. I definitely think Lorenzo Insigne is one of the big stories mm. in this game. I don't know if I thought he was brilliant all through the game because right at the beginning, it seemed to me like part of the plan for, for Lazio was to, to flood that right-hand side. So it was like Milinkovic-Savic was really encroaching some of the time on, on the right side. And, and you got these extra bodies um, on, that, on that flank and it was sort of forcing him backwards a little bit into the space, into the, the, the space where, where Mario Rui was. But um, certainly as the game went on, he grew into it brilliantly and was absolutely pivotal to, to Napoli winning. And I think one of the things that we've touched on in this podcast that hadn't like um, maybe uh, dwelled on as much as, as, as some others, he hadn't scored a goal from open play in Serie A this season. He scored one goal in Serie A in, um, in the Europa League from open play. All of the rest of his goals this season, seven goals, all from the penalty spot. And for him to score that goal that put Napoli ahead the first time and to take it so well, it felt like in that moment, like you said, he was booed off after the game against Barcelona. And by the way, we haven't um, mentioned that properly. I mean, dismal against Barcelona in the Champions League. Hugely disappointing as a team. Like I thought, you've drawn away in, in, um, at Barcelona. This is a moment for them. It's a whole conversation to be had about that, including the fact that I think Barcelona might actually be t- turning a corner. Mm. It's, it's partly their story, not just Napoli's story. Absolutely. But I think for him to score that goal is one of those things that is almost the biggest takeaways in this game for me because he takes that goal within about five minutes. He's got the ball in the net again. It's still at this loud for offside. But my question is like, will that change everything? Does that mean that now for the rest of the season, you get an Insigne who's more liberated, who's remembered how to score goals, who feels like that um, pressure is off him that's been there before? But again, the fact that he had the ball in the net again right away just makes me think, oh, is that another thing? And how much, Mina, do you think this Napoli team, because we talked, we did talk about this before, how much is this Napoli team actually, you know, it's everyone's there now. They've got everyone back from the Cup of Nations. They don't have to worry about the Thursday, um, Sunday or Thursday, Monday schedule because the Europa League. Are they, are they primed? Are they primed to take this home now? Napoli are such a hard team to figure out because I don't think they have any issues on a technical you don't believe in them. You don't. You don't believe in them, do you? I don't you? believe in them and I don't believe in Spalletti either. Like, not because I don't think they're brilliant. I think Spalletti is probably my, my, my favourite coach on a tactical level. You know, I, I think he's exceptional. I, I feel like Inter started their project so well because they chose him, you know. I feel like he made Roma one of the most exciting. I have a lot of love for Spalletti, but there is that element of... Yeah, I don't believe in them. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, I just... For me, <laughs> she's trying, she's trying to talk around it, isn't she guys? Like she's <laughs> trying to work her way to a point where like she can, but she doesn't, she doesn't believe Well, I, here's the thing, you know, I mean, Interstar has a game in hand. I don't know what's going on with Intro at the moment because it's bizarre to me how, how much they're struggling to finish off their opportunities, you know? And I still think, you know, they have a game in hand. With Napoli, it, it's bizarre because in the big matches, 
not against Barcelona, mind you, but in the big matches in Serie A, they really do show you the ability of what they can do. And, and I think what's most impressive in this match is that when Pedro equalized, for me, it was like the perfect time for Napoli to shut down because that's who they are. But they didn't. And they actually looked for the winner. And they actually still thought to themselves, we can do this and still played with the type of lucidity that we haven't seen from them. Because usually they do surrender sometimes to their emotions and, and lose that aggression or desire that they have. But they didn't on this occasion. And I thought that's interesting. And I wonder whether it is because they're facing Lazio and whether or not they would have done the same if it was like a, a Spezia or, um, or Cagliari, although we can't really say that about Cagliari these days, you know. But it's almost like they raise their level. They have been impressive against the top teams. They really have um, against your Juves, your Milans, your Lazios. But where they struggle is against like the, the teams that they are supposed to really dominate from start to bottom, like your Cagliari, you know. I mean, for me, I just think it, it's impossible that you would do that last week. And I haven't yet gone over it. So there's no point to pull out these wonderful performances if you then are going to just disappoint me against the smaller teams. So I don't know, because right now I think they are an exceptional side. Fabian Ruiz with another goal from outside the box, you know, like an Insigne, so impressive. But it's like making top four. You just needed to beat a weak El Astorona and you couldn't do it. So I don't know how much I believe in them. Well, let me, let me, let me. Let me colour this as Luciana Spalletti might okay. colour it by saying, Cagliari, okay, Cagliari, who um, her unbeaten in five games, who've won away to Atlanta in that run of five games, who just beat Torino this weekend 2-1. It's easy to look at them and say they're 17th in the table, but, you know, I'm just, I'm just playing devil's advocate because I'm not sure I believe in this team either. I want to believe in this team. I really want to because I, I think there's so much good there. And I, you know thrilling stuff as well. We've talked about Insignia, but thrilling goal from Fabian. I thought it was a real character mm. in the way they responded to her conceding that goal at the end and coming back. You know, there's so many things going on in this, isn't there? Because like when I look at it as well, I'm like, yeah, but they could have been 2-0 down inside 10 minutes. Exactly. They started so badly. There is unevenness there. They were bad against Barcelona. I was, I was really disappointed with the Barcelona game. What, what do you think of Osterman? Like they're big stars. Do you think they're enough to carry them through? I really, really like Osman. I don't always feel like he, I don't always feel like the system has been worked out. You know, against Barcelona, I thought Osman was one of the only bright sparks, but it was a bright spark in as much as that when they could get the ball to him, you could see that there's a talented footballer on the ball and maybe something will happen. And he does get a penalty in that game, right? Like it's, it's his run that gets the, gets the penalty. But there was no connection between him and the rest of the team. And then you come into this game against Lazio, which is not against an opponent of such a high standard. And he wasn't really a factor in this game. Uh, he did have one, one um, chance in, in injury time before um, Ruiz's goal, which, which, very nearly, which very nearly won the game, actually. It was a, a great block. Um, but other than that, he didn't do much all game. So there is sometimes this feeling of, of does it all fit together with him? Um, but I think his talent is is immense, and and you know if he's if he's not working, that's in my opinion that's a team problem more than a him problem. And I do think one of the things that Lazio did very effectively in this game was absolutely smother Piotr Zielinski, and Zielinski disappeared in this game, and it was interesting that I love Zielinski mm, by the way, he's I another know, player I really like, big, but big disappeared fan. in this game. <laughs> I am. I think he's brilliant, but he wasn't in this game. 
And the second he goes off, Elmas comes on, intercepts a pass, and then gets the ball back from Politano and sets up the first goal. So there was a big pivot, actually, when Zielinski goes off, the game changed. But I mean, there was lots of really strong performances from Napoli in here as well, worth saying. I think Fabian Ruiz was having a good game even before the goal, but the goal is brilliant. The goal is, when you watch it from behind the goal, really like one of those angles, there's three defenders between him and the goal, and he finds the way of getting it around them into the bottom corner. The goal scored for Lazio by, by um, Pedro is maybe even better. It feels less good because he's not the winner, but it's a brilliant strike. Stunning. And he seconds before that, I had another effort from outside the box saved by Spina. That whole like last part of the game was great fun. It's a really fun game yeah. of football at the end. Maybe feels a bit less fun to Mauricio Sadi. I mean, how do we... He said afterwards, you know... I mean, at least it wasn't what happened last time they played because the last time they played, they they lost 4-0. But I think he was also very frustrated and felt like they should have taken their chances and won the game. I do worry about, like, it was very strange because I thought that they had such strength and courage on the ball in the first half. But in the second half, it's like the pressure kind of got to them and they got a little bit emotional and then it it became very, like, chaotic. And they were terrible on the ball. panic at all and I see that a lot when Sadie's a coach so I don't, I don't know what's going on there but I, I needed them at that exact moment to just sort of take a breath and say right we know how to do this because we were tremendous in the in the, especially in the first 20 minutes of the, of the first half we can do that it needed to be resolved by a, a stunning goal like you said they you know and I think there's been a lot of backlash of, of the way that you know Maritio Sadie dealt with um with the midweek fixtures and saying stuff like, oh, well, it's good that we were out of the Europe League, now we can train. It's interesting because, you know, the sporting director, Tare, came out and said, you know, like, if you listen to the speech that he was giving the team and about how much it was necessary for them to beat Porto, you wouldn't be saying these things. But there is, there is, there is a lot there that's beautiful from Lazio. And I wonder whether having now potentially a full week will make them interesting. People are saying they're already out of the top four race. I don't think that is true necessarily it's just that there's a lot of competition right now and they're really very good teams ahead of them so it's interesting to see how this is going to go because it's good from a point of view of who's winning the league and who's going to finish in the top four because it's every week I believe more in a team and I believe less in another so and then I change that all over again so all I can say to you is I hope you're not betting on this league because you must be broke by now so just to, because I don't know if I actually said it, um, to say it, um, Lazio drew 2-2 with Porto in the second leg of their Europa League tie. They lost 4-3 on aggregate. I don't think they deserved more than they got, but I also think that they had chances. So it was one of those games where if they had um, been more effective in front of goal, they could have won that, that game. And um, I think there was, yeah, definitely some sort of, I feel like there was some feeling in that Lazio team in the first 10 minutes against Napoli, actually, when they didn't take those chances, it was almost carryover. It was almost like, oh, we're still not taking these chances. And particularly um, when Luis Alberto didn't score, he looked quite... Oh, that was such a terrible uh, miss. For the, for the first 10 minutes of the game, it was a terrible miss, but he did really look like a... It was a real face flop, wasn't it? It was a real sort of like literally face first into the floor. The uh, Lazio losing, of course... Uh, is relevant in the, the race for the Champions League spot. Good news for Roma, potentially good news for Atalanta as well, who haven't played yet at the time of recording. Did want to touch on Mina, um, Atalanta in, in the Champions League this, uh, in the Europa League, sorry, this week, beat Olympiacos with two goals, two brilliant goals from 
Malinowski, who celebrated them by showing off a t-shirt that he'd handwritten saying stop the war in, in, in Ukraine. And this is obviously a, a much bigger story than football. It's something that uh, I don't even know how to cover properly when we're talking on a, a podcast that in the end is about football, which is, as always, you know, the most important of the least important things. It's not important in, in the scheme of of things like this. Um, but we saw a lot of managers, didn't we, this week getting sort of really quite emotional in their reactions to what's been going on in Ukraine. Yeah, absolutely. We saw Sinisa Mihailovic um, tearing up because a lot of them, this will bring up bad memories of obviously the the former Yugoslavia and the wars that they all suffered in growing up in, in really not a, a great state to be in. Um, that includes obviously the likes of Enin Dzeko, who is of Bosnian descent, obviously. And just uh, what it reminds them of the trauma that they suffered as in their childhood. And there are a lot of, like, Ivan Yurich spoke about it as well. I think there was a very poignant message on Instagram from Pessina, Atalantis Pessina, as he talked about the fact that when Maninovsky saw Maranchuk, who was a Russian footballer, um, on the pitch, and, and oh, sorry, in the training ground, and how they hugged one another, he went on to describe them. And, and how they are as people talking about, you know, Malinowski being an introvert with a strong personality and Maranchuk being one of the nicest guys he's ever met in his life. And the fact is, is that we are a family and things happen and governments choose to go in directions that we may not agree with or, or I don't know, whatever your stance is, but it doesn't change how people feel about one another. And Atalanta is a family that, you know, both players from two of these nations and yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's a terrible thing that's happening in this world. At the end of the day, um, it's, yeah, you're right. I, it's a very difficult thing to cover. It's, I I think people know that maybe, I don't know, um, but I do have Russian family and they are married to Ukrainians. And so it's a, it's it's been a difficult thing for us to even have just at home. So I can only, uh, I can only imagine what people are going through and we can only pray for anyone who's suffering right now. Yeah, well said, Mina. The um, only other just news update we have on on that is just in the last ten minutes. Um, the BBC is reporting that FIFA are going to suspend Russia until further notice. And that's breaking news that I'm I'm reporting secondhand from the BBC while I'm recording this podcast. So uh, apologies if um, by time of recording that is not the latest um information, but that's what we have right now. Now, Mina, as I said, uh, Napoli uh, go joint top of the table. They go joint top alongside Milan, who drew with, you know, so one thing I actually meant to say in the last section, I forgot to say, um, just to, to mention it, uh, Napoli have got the most points of any team in Serie A since the start of 2022. The last time they were top of the table was in December. They slipped in December. They haven't been perfect this year. They've drawn three out of the eight games they've had in 2022, but they have still got more points than anyone else in Serie A since the start of the new year. And part of that is because the Milan clubs keep slipping. It's interesting when you think about how many players they had lost at the Africa Cup of Nations and injuries and co- like it's amazing. Right? Yeah. It's, I think it's, it's, it's in big part indicative of the fact that we, we do not have the sort of title race we've been used to in Italy. The title race we've been used to in Italy has at least one club. And for most of the time, for nine years, it was Juventus who are going to set a pace that is punishing. And everyone else is like, oh God, can we even play with that? So it's not, it's not that sort of title race this season. And there's two sides to that. One is we can look at it and go, 
oh, we haven't got great teams this season like we've had in some past seasons. But the other side of that is we have a title race. And Milan against Udinese, this really, for all that we have hammered Napoli with that line about, you know, have they got the metal to see through games? Milan led in this game, Mina. Rafael Leao did what they needed to do. They get ahead, they're at home. How, how do they not turn that into three points? Yeah, I agree with you. Someone, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make a weird point with this, but someone was saying to me like, you know, Italy is going to defeat Portugal, right? This is assuming obviously like, you know, for the World Cup qualification that, Tur- that Turkey get defeated by Portugal and that Italy managed to overcome North Macedonia to face each other. And I said, oh, I don't think so. And they said, well, if, if, if Portugal's in this, in this struggle, then it means they didn't do well enough. And I said, no, actually, they did do well enough. They did get the goal. It just the referee didn't see it go over the line. And so that's why they find themselves in the playoffs, you know, whereas Italy didn't do enough. You know, they didn't score their, their penalties. And I feel that way about... Where is this big Italy coming well, I'll from? Well, I'll say this because <laughs> with Milan, I feel like there's a lot being said, but the referee has made some really big mistakes with Milan against Spezia, against Udinese. I just feel there's been a lot of moments where I do feel that they've been robbed of points. So I don't know whether it's a case of like, I'm going to sit there and blame them for their mentality because I think on the whole, their mentality for the level of technical ability they have within that squad has been, it's outweighed. You know, they they have outperformed what I think that they're capable of in that team. I think they have very good players, but I struggle to really look at many of them and think to myself, they are stars in the making, you know? And yet I think that they have done tremendous things, even in the Champions League against Atletico and Liverpool, against teams that are much, much more equipped and much higher paid than they are. And I do feel for them because I don't think they were very good in this match. And I think that needs to be pointed out like you did. And you're right about that. You know, there is a part of them where it's just not working out at the moment. Kessier is far from being the player that I thought he was. I think the only one that really showed a desire on the ball was Raphael Leao, who was, who is and has been now one of their better players. You know, I do think they miss Zlatan Ibrahimovic on the pitch just because of what he can do. And I do think that they need a more of an important reference point that they can rely on going forward. But I do also feel there's a psychological block right now with them. They are a little bit fearful of the way they're playing. But again, I I think about this and I think it's a handball, you know, so, and, and, you know, I mean, I, I just not even like, just even the playing of the advantage, the referee messed up quite a bit. So I, I don't know how to look at this match because I don't know what to feel about Milan, you know? I don't think as a team, they are good enough or better than Napoli and Inter to win this. If you just look at the sheer names on the paper and the way they play their game and Inter is so strong and Napoli is so strong. So Milan should just be happy where they are at the moment, you know? Um, but another part of me is like, they've dropped so many points and it's not their fault. And I feel sorry for them. So I, I don't know how to feel about all of this going forward. Yeah. So what you're talking about there is the girl scored by, I'm so sorry for this pronunciation, Ianama Udoji the um, 19-year-old Udinese player who scored the equalising goal for, for, for Udinese. Yeah, he does. He hands that ball and he admits on the way it to the net. I, I don't understand. I, yeah, what's extraordinary is like you, you can see it written all over him after the ball goes in. Like his body language is very much someone who got away with something. Like as soon as I saw it, I thought that's something's up with this goal because you can see it in the way he responds <laughs> yeah, to it. He guy. doesn't sort of... He doesn't run off going, I've done something great. He's got that sort of like slightly sheepish grin on his face. 
and I'm, I, I don't understand why that wasn't, why that wasn't reviewed. I, I don't. And, you know, this is the reality of, of, of league seasons. We always tell ourselves these things even out mm. over a campaign. Don't, no. don't always. Sometimes they do. And that is really un- unfortunate for me, Lan. I think this is not the first time recently, though, where you've looked at me, Lan, and gone, this is a game you should have put to bed and it should never have got to I this. Agree. It should never have been in the place where, where it was that in the balance. I think there are some things that are quite worrying. And actually you touched on one of them, Mina. I think Frank Kessie has been a shadow of himself. He's clearly expecting to leave the club at the end of the season and his contract is running down. And I think it's a real shame. I think there are lots of players you see at lots of clubs who go into the last year of their contract and who absolutely break their back to the show off and, and look even better to whoever goes in next. And Kessie really feels like he's decided he's done at Milan. Maybe I'm being too unfair, but that's how his performances look. He, he looks like he's not the same player who we've seen in previous seasons, who part of his, not like his sole defining characteristic, one of his characteristics was that you expected him to be a real sort of emotional leader in the way that he ran around the pitch and the way that he carried himself and the way that he threw himself into challenges of people. And he's not that at all. Instead, the leadership ridiculously feels like it's falling on Sandro Tonali, who's brilliant, but he's not. He's a kid. Like expecting him to be the leader feels really, um, and really, not that Kessie is old, by the way, but he's been part of this team and, and, and within that changing room has been there for a while. I think there's something really up with, with Kessie and its problem. And I think that unfortunately, despite, despite Tarby Day heroics, Olivier Giroud, to me, still, he's never quite, um, he's never quite integrated into this team, in my opinion. He's never quite um, become the sort of, uh, the player that works around what they have, which is all these young, quick dribblers around him who want to, to carry the ball on. Uh, it, it, it's not, it's never quite gelled. And I thought he had another disappointing game. Credit to Udinese. Udinese are also um, another team that, just because they're low on the table does not mean they're not obstinate, does not mean they can't get results against, against good teams. But I really think when you go one nil up after half an hour, as um, Milan did at home, if you're trying to win the title against teams like this, you have to find a way to get that across the line. And they didn't. And um, it's a problem, which would be an even bigger problem, Mina, if it wasn't for the fact that Inter also keep dropping points. This is really getting to a ahead the Inter situation now because they are actually still the top scorers in all of Serie A. Um, Lazio, one goal behind them. No one else has scored more than, um, than Inter. But Inter didn't score this weekend against Genoa. They drew 0-0. They didn't score against Sassuolo the week before. They lost 2-0. They didn't score against Liverpool in the Champions League. That's three games in a row when they haven't scored. And Lautaro Martinez, it's I've lost actually lost count of how many games it's been since he scored now, but it's it, this is like a more extreme version of what we we're just talking about. Saying it, Milan had the lead, they should be able to, to to see a game through. Inter can't even get leads at the moment; they can't score goals. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know where this ends, Mina. Where does this end? Yeah, we should. Um, okay, so from the start of February to now, Inter's managed one win out of six games and that win came against Coppa Italia in the Coppa Italia against Roma. 
So it's 40 games now without a win, three consecutive games without a goal, despite 53 shots, okay? There were 21 shots attempted by Inter against Genoa, yet only four of them were on target. It's interesting because there was this wonderful, like, drawing um, on Instagram. I think it was from the Gazeta dello Sport. And, and it was saying Lukaku and all his problems in Chelsea and Lazaro and all his problems in Inter and how much they must miss one another. You know, and Lula, just, just that ability to combine and understand one another. Because right now, Lazaro Martinez wasn't even picked to start in this match because of the fact that there's been a lot of criticism. I thought when he came on, he was. He was good, but again, you know, like it, it's difficult right now because I don't think Alexis Sanchez and Jekyll also work so well. And it's so interesting because this was a team that was so unpredictable at the start of the season that had so many avenues to goal and different goal scorers. But right now it all seems to hinge on whether or not their forward players can actually score anything. 72% possession. I mean, Milan, if we talk about them, they had 68% possession. And yet all of it just seems to be squandered away because there isn't ever a move that really makes you think, yes, this is it, you know? I mean, Udinese are a tough team to break down and you do need more than anything physicality and an intense, intense fury about you. So with Milan, I do feel like I can understand a draw to Inter, uh, sorry, a draw, a draw to Udinese. I don't understand their draw to Salernitano, obviously. But with Genoa, what I think is interesting is that they they play this really compact style of football, very, you know, very much tight lines, well organized, and that's why they keep getting draws, no wins yet, but they still had a fifty four percent success past success rate. It, it, they're pretty poor on the ball, you know, and it's interesting how some of the things that I was worried about popped up in this. You know, Chalonoglu was terrific in all his de- deliveries from the corners. And they would score one every every five corners, they scored a goal. Now they had 14, they couldn't do anything from them. As soon as you put and were a little bit aggressive against Chalonoglu, he doesn't really perform to his levels. Brozovic, everyone was like, oh, well, you know, he was missing last week and that was the problem. He was there this week. I didn't see the regular Brozovic that we know. He seemed irritable and a little bit slow and labored. I don't see Barella. I, I don't know whether, I know this sounds crazy, but what was so what's so brilliant about Milan and, and Inter is that they always seem very unpredictable at the start of the season, both of them. Milan, I can say this over a number of seasons because it's always in the second half that they start sort of a little bit, you know, creaks start coming up and problems start to arise here. But I, I just feel like have people clocked on to what they need to do? Have they been found out or are they now facing teams that are just better at neutralizing their strengths and playing for the draws, you know? Or did we just have the start of the season where Genoa were hideous, Salernitana was hideous, Hellas Verona was hideous, and now they just got a lot better because they all got better coaches who know how to play a more even match, which which makes me think, is any team in Serie A really that good? <laughs> I think there's some of that. There were some really one-sided results at the beginning of the season. It does feel like some of those teams that are down the bottom are actually not pushovers anymore. Genoa have drawn five games in a row, Salernitana have drawn four in a row. Um, they are, they're not suddenly great teams, but they're certainly more resilient than they were earlier in the season. Having said that, I just, when, when I look at that Inter attack and I know it worked earlier in the season, but when I look at Inter who, um, are still Serie A's top scorers, as I said, 
But who last season had what felt like this compelling dynamic combination, not perfect, but often very effective combination of Lukaku and Lautaro up front. And I look at um, this weekend and it's Edin Dzeko, 35 years old, Alexis Sanchez, 33 years old. Because, you know, I, I mentioned about Martinez not scoring again and he didn't, but he only played about 15 minutes. Alexis Sanchez told us that if he got to start, the monster would be unleashed there. The <laughs> line would be out of the page. He started last two games, he hasn't scored. You know, I, I don't know whether it's worth criticizing because in the end, Inter made the decisions they made because of financial necessity. They lost 200 and something million euros in the last year's accounts. They are owned by a Chinese um, ownership group who have their own financial obligations back home, who have um, restrictions imposed on them by the national government. They had to cut costs. But I, I look at this team and in the last few weeks, I think to myself, you needed to act like you've entered this January and do something to freshen that attack up. And even though they are the top scorers in Serie A, how many of those goals were piled up against some of the teams you were talking about who were in just such dire straits earlier in the season? And when you look at it in terms of absolute quality up front, Whose attack are you picking out of the top teams? Would you pick Inter's attack over Napoli's attacking options? I wouldn't. Would you pick them over Juventus' options now that Vlaovic is there? I wouldn't. Would you pick them over Milan's attacking options? I still don't know if I would, honestly, just because I take Leao and, and, you know, Ibra when he's there. Would you pick them over which clubs, which clubs in the top? In the, in the top of the table, would you really confidently pick them over? I mean, sure, like Roma, sure, because it's a team that's down uh, sixth in the table. I don't know that they've got enough to get them over the line in Serie A now, which is pretty worrying when you think the advantage they had a few weeks ago. And I certainly think that in the biggest games in Europe, this has come up time and time again. And in fact, the biggest games domestically as well, like they dominated Milan in the derby and didn't win because they didn't score goals. They scored one, but didn't score enough. They dominated Real Madrid and, and played all right in the other game against Real Madrid, didn't score because they didn't have great attacking options. They created more than enough against Liverpool to score a goal, but they didn't. I was going to say, is this trend just making us believe that maybe the way that you should play football is the way that Conte and Allegri do it, where you want to rip your hair out because you're so bored to death, but they don't need to dominate. They just are efficient when they are, and that's it. Because there were a lot of matches last season from Inter that weren't fun to watch. He was labelled as completely boring, but they were efficient when they needed to be. They got the points, and they won on a great run and won the Scudetto, rightfully so. Allegri is now building points from what is a diabolically dull you know, team. And so is it now like if you actually dominate teams, you're just, you're just wasting energy at this point if you don't know how to be efficient at the end of it? <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know, but it kind of seems like I don't get it. I think that's oversimplifying. I think maybe there is an extent though to which, um, you know, this is a blunt truth football. And funnily enough, and we'll go to Juventus now, Mina, because it's a natural uh, segue from here as well. But this is, this is the, the, the drum that Max Allegri has banged forever, which is his famous sort of way of phrasing it was, sure, you know, you, you, you make tactical plans, you, you drop strategies, but in the last um, seconds of the game, when you need that shot for the buzzer beater, you give the ball to LeBron, don't you? You give your ball to your, your star <laughs> player, like Kobe. And I think there is, 
I mean, this is, it's sort of so sort of obvious. It feels mundane to say it, but there's a truth to the fact that if you have a Kobe Bryant, a LeBron James, who can decide games for you, that's a pretty big leg up in trying to win titles. And Juventus didn't have that for most of the season, but they do now. And it's Dusan which isn't it? Yeah. And if Milan had Ibrahimovic, who scores, you know, so much on average, especially in all the big matches. And I mean, there were braces and hat tricks last season that we haven't seen this mm. year. But yeah, Juventus, uh, it's interesting just how much Vlaovic really just allows Allegri to be even more of Allegri, you know, where it's like, <laughs> we're going to buckle down and just be this team that doesn't care about possession, who will happily be passive. You do what you need to do. And then when we have a moment, we'll get the goal, you know? It, it, it just, all the memes in the Champions League when they went 1-0 up and Juventus Twitter was all like Allegri's face when he's told he can defend a lead for 90 minutes in the Champions League and it's just great big. I'm so, there's no other way to describe Allegri's grin that he has than it's an American, it's an American saying, which I don't really know if like we'll get it over here, but like whenever I see him with that grin and I, I like Allegri, I'm not knocking him, but it's a shit eating grin, isn't it? He's got this grin that's like just this huge yay. grin. Which is so smug, but yeah. he's, yeah. you know, we're, we're joking about it, but it's, it's a little bit true. Like he, um, because yeah. he goes against everything we're, we're learning these days, you know, these days, what everyone tells us is what Ego Saki has been trying to tell us for the last 20 years from his really obnoxious state of mind, which is, you know, philosophies and attractive football mm-hmm. gets your results in the end. I mean. Javi has it on the record when he said nobody who plays Atletico Madrid style of football under Cholo Simeone can ever really win anything. And then he reached two Champions League final and that smugness comes from proving them wrong, <laughs> that that style of football can achieve great things. And so I do feel like yeah. him and Allegri should start a little club, you know, where I, yeah, we don't care, we don't need to entertain you, you know, like we'll just win, you know. But for me, the quintessential game will always be the one against Tottenham, where they literally had 10 minutes to just score two goals and that was it, you know, and Tottenham just totally, mm-hmm. totally outplayed them for most of the two legs. Um, but that's very much Juventus and having Vlaovic just allows him to do that because the guy can score from his weak foot, from the most acute angles, from, he's incredible. Like he's, I hate saying these things because for me, you know, it's Mbappe and Haaland and I get it and everyone thinks that and, and but I, I don't see him being that far away from Haaland. I still think Mbappe is a little bit further ahead than both of them, you know? Obviously, as we know, he's won the World Cup and he's very much the guy that, that the Galacticos of PSG even lean on. But like, I, I, he's, he did it in the Champions League. He's doing it in Serie A. He's moved from Fiorentina to Juventus and doesn't even need a minute to acclimatize to the situation. It's like he's just come in and been like, yeah, this is my home. I'm just going to continue as I was, you know? And then I find that, bizarre like even Zidane needed time to settle in you know what I mean so I do think like seven points is still a lot I mean it's totally doable it's totally doable because <laughs> of that my question Mina I was going to provoke you by saying can you venture still can you venture win the league and and you're already going there so you don't even need to be provoked you're thinking about oh, it I am thinking about it because I always think because you know what disappoints me so much is that you know, for the Bundesliga, I just think there's just never anything. And even when they, even when Bayern is really bad, yeah, there's nobody else that can really capitalize on it. And you're watching Napoli lose, you know, lose to Cagliari's draw, rather. Sorry. Wait, did they lose or draw? I forgot now. Anyway. And, you know, Milan dropping points to Salernitana. And I think to myself, 
does anyone want to win this? Like now I'm starting to understand why Juventus dominated, even when they were under Maurizio Sarri, who was, it was just God awful football as well at the end, you know? And you just think, where, where is that passion? Where is what Conte brought to Inter last year, which is, you know, like, let's just win. It doesn't matter. We don't need to entertain, just win, win, win. And, and obviously it helped that he didn't have midweek fixtures, but it's, Bizarre how many of them don't necessarily have the right mentality going forward. And that is what it is. One thing I do want to point out that what, what upset me with Inter is they looked very tired in that match. And I hadn't noticed that, but I, you could tell that there was a lot of like a lot of heavy breathing going on from certain players and a lot of like resting on their knees. And I just thought last year they had Pinters and Pinters is so essential because if you know anything about Juventus or Real Madrid, it's how much they invest in their conditioning coaches, you know? It's why Zidane won three in Luro because he had Pintus, you know? And it's why Antonio Conte took him with him to Inter and allowed them to train incessantly to the extent that they were throwing up at halftime just because, like, I mean, in training matches, just because of how heavy he is. It's the, pretty much the same as what Ventroni was as well in, in the mid-90s with Juventus and who is now at Tottenham Hotspurs and why they are the hardest-running team in the Premier League at the moment. It matters who your fitness coach is because when the... When it gets to the business end of the season, which is now, you're not supposed to be dropping points against the likes of Udinese or Salernitana or Genoa, you know? So what is going on from that level? They had several shots, so I don't want to blame their, their goals because there are, they, I mean, sorry, Inzaghi, because the tactics are not wrong, but they are tired. They are, that means that when they are shooting, it's not precise. And so I wonder what's going on in terms of fitness. Meanwhile, Juventus is losing players left, right, and center. Like to the extent that they now have to play what we've all dreamed of, which is Locatelli with Arthur in midfield, you know? But they just don't have anyone else available. And they've got a Coppa Italia midweek. And I don't know. I don't know if they have enough, I guess, in terms of bodies to actually win the title if they wanted to go for it. You've touched on the Coppa Italia there, Mina. For our Patreon subscribers like Chronicles de Fossi, we're going to have a little extra preview of the Coppa Italia semifinals uh, dropping into your um, podcast inbox this week. So look out for that one. And if you are keen to get in that one, well, you can go on the website, seriachronicles.com, and there's a button there to uh, sign up. Mina, we are talking about um, a topic here that's come up, I think, in a few of these games. The resilience and the resourcefulness of top teams that find results at the end. Well, let me talk to you about a club you might have heard of called Roma, who were 2-1 down against Sassuolo and equalized in the 93rd minute, who were 2-0 down against Verona and came back to draw two all, who were 0-0 in the 97th minute against Spezia and, and got all three points. Surely, Mina, you can see now that Jose Mourinho is the truth <laughs> and has got this team finding answers right to the end of every game. Oh, honey, you wanted to provoke me with Juventus, but you're provoking <laughs> me now. <laughs> yeah, this is all because Mourinho is like so clever. <laughs> um, <laughs> firstly, Kudos to Robert for some of these like points that they're getting at the very end. But um, it's interesting because he, he was watching this from the bus because he was, you know, obviously suspended for two matches because of what he did in his last match um, and, and uh, the gestures he made towards the referee. 
So Jose Mourinho wasn't actually there, but this match was so bizarre because Spezia were down to 10 men. I mean, you know, for, for the entire second half, they're really fighting there and just totally parked the bus, right? It was Jose Mourinho at his finest from Tiago Motta. But Nicolo Zaniolo, like, it was just wonderful, like wonderful, like the, the, the extent of his desire to win that penalty and to get them. But I have to say it was deserved. They deserved to win this match from the start, like from at least halftime. I couldn't believe how many chances they were missing. I wanted to kill Pier Pellegrini because he is so beautiful to watch. I just wonder why are, are these people, how can so many of them be this terrible at finishing? I mean, do we need to run extra special curricular <laughs> activities where we teach all these guys to go back and start, you know, take Morata, take Pellegrini, you know, take Lautaro Martinez and just give them an extra hour and, and get them to sharpen up their shooting. Yeah, well, I mean, Roma, certainly, if they, whatever else they have or haven't got right, um, Tammy Abraham, in terms of just scoring goals, you know, said he has fourth leading scorer and that's despite some dry runs. So yes, turns out that having someone who you can lean on for goals, even when they are in this case in a penalty spot, is quite valuable. And certainly it has been um, a frustrating week for some teams in terms of finishing. I'm being mostly facetious about um, Mourinho, but I, I do <laughs> want to like, I want to check myself because I feel like I also um, don't always give, um, I have not exactly been glowing this season in my assessments of them. And look, maybe there is something in it. Maybe there is something that he deserves credit for in the fact that, that group, whatever else they're getting wrong, is not giving up on games. You can't mm, accuse Roma mm. of that lately. They are not giving up on You're games. Right. They're going They're going all the way to the end of them. The penalty, I thought it was a penalty. It was obviously really sort of a horrible way to, to lose the points if you're Spezia, but Zaniola gets kicked in the face. It's, a, you know, you, you can see the cut yeah. in his face afterwards. And, and I think that um, that's the right decision. Reports in Gazette this morning linking uh, Zaniola with Juventus. As far as I can see, they're based mostly on the fact that he's been hitting that like button on Instagram, but who doesn't get jealous when they see their hot new bow clicking like on some old lady's um, <laughs> Instagram feed? That was a bit of a reach, that one. Um, but it was a good one. <laughs> I was trying. Um, Sassuolo. Um, Can I just say something? I said Luca Pellegrini because obviously I still had Juventus in my head. Lorenzo Pellegrini, obviously. Anyway. Indeed, indeed. I didn't even pick up on it, but yes, um, too many, too many uh, uh, similarly named people in this division. Yes, I agree. Uh, Sassuolo beat Fiorentina uh, 2-1, uh, probably more of a, a a bad result for Fiorentina than a, than a particularly meaningful one for Sassuolo. Sassuolo, well, they could yet yeah, find a way back into the uh, Conference League conversation, but they are way off at the moment. Other results uh, from this weekend that we have not talked about yet. I'm just going down with this. We have mentioned Slavin Tadru won all with Bologna. Torino, I did touch on, uh, lost at home to Cagliari 2-1. Verona beating Venezia 3-1. Interesting uh, in part because we got another hat-trick from Giovanni Simeone who has been, as is characteristic, a bit hot and cold this season. He's been on a bit of a dry run. I don't think he's scored since uh, December against Atalanta but comes back with a hat-trick and has now scored 15 goals a season. So he is also very much still in the race for Capo Canoniere. Was there anything else, Mina, that you were keen to get mentioned before the end of this week's show? I was just wondering just 
how interesting it could be next season if we have into full of young Italian stars, you know, your Fratesis, your Scamacas, and then like you'll have Zaniolo and Chiesa and, and all in the Juventus. And it's kind of like the Italian national teams in terms of big clubs, you know? Yeah, definitely could go that way. I mean, the Zaniolo thing seems very premature to me, but we will see. It's very expensive as well. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole conversation to have about how he would fit at Juventus, but I think we're getting ahead of ourselves. before we sign off, I'm going to read a lovely um, message we got this week, Mina, from Chronicles Tifosi patrons, Shane and Athena Kohlmeyer, and then Minnie Dax and Kylo living in Sydney. Guys, Minnie Dax and donors of the world unite. Um, <laughs> I am going to need to see a picture of Kylo, I'm afraid. That's um, absolutely mandatory. Yes, please. If you ever hear woofing on my podcast, so the podcast that is from my mini dachshund, Ross, who um, also, he did not feature on Stan Sports coverage of Champions League games this week, but a cushion that looks like him did and drew some comment, in fact. So if you guys are in Sydney, maybe you're seeing the Stan Sports coverage as well um, and you might have seen that. Um, but Shane and Athena write, hi, Mina and Nikki. We simply wanted to show our love and appreciation for both of you and the wonderful podcast. We are grateful for the effort that you put into the content each episode and my wife and I wish you every success with it. Thank you so much. That's a lovely message. And um Are you very fans? <laughs> this is all that Mina cares about. She just sees no. <laughs> through all of that and sees Juventus and uh, where do you even see the Juventus? Living in Sydney, Australia and you very fans. Can I can I just say it do you do you pronounce it Dax can you say that again? How are you pronounce Daxend. Is it Daxon? I thought it was Dashend at the time. Why did I think that? I think it's Daxand. You are definitely right because you actually own one. And I just watch them on Instagram. So that's the difference. Well, it's one of those things though. <laughs> like it's obviously, um, it's a German word. Um, so it's very possible that there's a correct German way of saying it and a correct English way of saying it. And Dashhund. Somewhere in between. Yes. Producer Simon is having Dashhund and Dashhund only. <laughs> but there is a, a, an Instagram page that Nikki and I bond on and it is about my beloved sausage dog so i'm not going to say the, the word because i'm struggling with it so yeah when she's not checking who zaniolo has been liking on instagram does <laughs> also follow sausage dogs <laughs> we've also had a message from i like this new section by the way Mina. this new section has been um dropped in for us by our producer simon which is just us getting to read lovely comments ourselves. yes because we, we don't have enough confidence apparently <laughs> um andrew kilka wrote in viceraconicles.com saying, how have I missed this? You both need to promote this more. All the BBC and Guardian do get in there. I'm off to listen to the back catalogue. Oh, Andrew, I hope you enjoyed the back catalogue. I have been terrible at self-promotion recently. I'm not on Twitter as much as I used to be. And um, I should be better at it. But thank you so much for saying that, Andrew. That's lovely. That is very true. Um, also, yeah, we do try, but like sometimes, you know, with where we do our podcasts or shows, they're not that keen on us promoting other stuff. But um, I also want to read another one, and I'm going to read this one because it's just listen to this week's Serie A Chronicles and Nikki Bandini on the Guardian Weekly Football Podcast. I want to give big props. Yay! Quality analysis of football along with brilliant reporting. Thank you to Altano on Twitter. And thanks for your messages, guys. And thanks for listening to this show. We, we do try to make it as entertaining as possible. And um, we read these messages because you see, 
the whole point of the exercise is that we need to make my head so big that we don't walk through, you know, corridors. And <laughs> <laughs> according to my other half, it's just getting out of hand now. And uh, <laughs> if only he knows our producer just continues to drop these messages more and more. So at this point, I have become unbearable to live with. <laughs> But um, we'll be back on Friday with Chronicles Q&A Mailbag Show. Check out our website at seriachronicles.com and click the Chronicles to Fosy button to join our Patreon community where you'll get access to exclusive episodes and bonus content. For this week, it will be a look ahead to the Coppa Italia matches. You can also send us a voice message via the website if you'd like your question played on the Q&A show. Find us on Twitter at SeriaCronPod or individually at Nikki Mangini at Mina Rizuki. Subscribe to the Seria Chronicles YouTube channel for clips of the show and follow us on Instagram. You can also judge all the different lipsticks I put on. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, on Google, or even on our Facebook page. Thank you for listening to us and we'll be back on Friday. Ciao for now. Doppio dell'Atalanta con Malinowski al ventiduesimo minuto di gioco. Olimpiaco 0, Atalanta 2, il gol di Malinowski che si toglie, la, si solleva la divisa sociale e mostra una maglietta con parole di solidarietà per l'Ucraina. Giornata non facile per Malinowski. No war in Ucraina, mi suggerisce il mio vicino di banco, Andrea Riscassi, collega di Resport che ha gli occhi migliori dei miei, evidentemente è riuscito a leggere quello che c'era scritto sulla maglietta. E allora al ventiduesimo, Olimpiaco 0, Atalanta 2, il gol di Malinowski che indirizza in maniera nettissima la qualificazione della Dea verso la fase successiva dell'Europa League. A te Cristiano. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.